As always, keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at this uh, passage of Scripture this morning with a view to the Lord's Supper. So as we do that, as, as we continue to prepare our hearts, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, this really is, it really is a, a, a special sacred time. And uh, right now, I just, I, I probably, um, more, than, more than likely, many of us, including myself, we just need to pause and take a few minutes and realize the magnitude of what we do today. We tend to rush. We rush. We rush and we go through Sunday mornings to get to whatever Sunday afternoon. We often really um, push Sunday morning to the side. I, I just think, Lord, we need to do some confessing. And I, I'm confessing, and I'm just praying we, we're all just join in and do some confessing. Yet that's how we prepare for the Lord's Supper. I think many times, Lord, we... We push Saturday night as, as far as we can with little regard to Sunday morning. And we wait until the very last minute to get up on Sunday morning. We don't spend any time in prayer or in your word preparing our hearts, looking with anticipation and expectation Longing to be with your people, longing to be in your presence. And we rush to get ready and to get the kids ready, and we rush to church and we rush into Sunday school and we rush out and we rush in. And we get in and get it done and get it over. So we can get to the couch or get to the golf course or get to the restaurant or get to wherever. We just need to stop. I'm as guilty as anyone, Lord. I'm not preaching right now. I'm confessing. This is the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's holy, it's sacred, it's saving, it's our only hope, it's our only life. I just feel so inadequate, Lord, because 
I think I've gotten used I've gotten used to preaching. And I'm sorry. I've been doing this since I was 15. I've been standing in front of people and saying, Thus says the Lord. And it's gotten too easy. It's a fearful thing to approach a holy, living, all-consuming, righteous God. And we've been far too casual, far too busy, far too rushed, less than worship. So would you cleanse us, Lord, today? Forgive us that church has been just another activity. Forgive us for losing the, the awe and the wonder and the glory and the beauty. Forgive us for making it about us, about what we want, about what we're looking for, about what we need. About us, 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 us. And not about you, 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 you. Speak to our hearts, change us into your likeness. Form in us, Lord, a people zealous for good works. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you've been a believer for some time, you're probably familiar with this passage, at least the last two verses, every knee will bow Every tongue confess. You've heard that phrase. If you, if you were not aware of where it's located, you've at least heard of it. And the, the big picture here of the, the context of Philippians chapter 2 is that, that Paul, Paul is compelling us to pursue humility as an individual. As all individuals pursue humility, then unity will flourish as a whole And as unity flourishes as a whole, then the gospel will advance. The power of the gospel will advance in our lives. The witness of the gospel will advance in the community around us and to the ends of the earth. A divided church is not a winsome, compelling, evangelistic, missions-minded, God-centered church. What causes division is when we get our minds off of God and our our eyes off of God and onto ourselves. That's what causes division. Churches like that are not winning anybody to Jesus. They're not exploding. They're not looking for space to put people who are showing up. So Paul lays a foundation 
He says that we, we, we have a foundation. God has given us all the graces that we need to, to stand on that we might pursue this radical, Christ-like, God-centered humility in our lives. And so the first part of chapter 2, he reminds us you have encouragement in Christ. You have the comfort of God's love. You have the participation of the Holy Spirit. You have affection. You have sympathy. So we stand on these God-given graces, and when we do, we actually become humble people. But Paul has not only built a foundation underneath us, he has placed a great example before us. Not only a place for us to stand, but something for us to pursue. And he's put before us Christ. So after he builds a foundation under us of these five graces God has given us, he puts before us Christ, the Son of God, to be our, our goal, our pursuit, our great example. Pursue Christ as, as we are pursuing the Lord and pursuing Christ's likeness and, and pursuing him in our lives. We are, in fact, pursuing the ultimate example of humility. That's the context of where our verses fall. And so as we look at this, the, the humility of Christ and, 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 and we're in this context of this morning preparing our hearts to, to come around this meal this feast of the lord's sacrifice on our behalf paul says look to christ when we struggle with uh, our faith when we struggle with the christian walk when we struggle with humility paul says look to christ and here are some words that come to mind first of all we see surrender and submission in verses six and seven when Paul says, look to Christ, he, he, he says, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And he begins to describe what was required of Jesus, what was, what was the pathway before Christ as he took on the mission to accomplish redemption. To redeem sinners, Christ intentionally pursued things think about that christ intentionally put himself on a path to be the redeemer there were things that he must do if he's going to be the savior so don't let it, don't let it get by us this morning that that christ is pursuing these things he's becoming these things in order to advance the gospel. That's, what, that's the context of Philippians 2. All of this is in service of the gospel. All this is for the sake of the gospel. The first thing, the first uh, description that we see in these verses, verses 6 and, and 7 and 8, is that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. That's something that, that he pursued, something he intentionally acted upon himself he emptied himself and that's where i come with the word surrender surrender christ surrendered things in order to be the redeemer 
And if we're going to be like Christ and and be a humble people, surrender is going to surface in our lives. There are going to be times in our lives when we are following hard after Christ that surrender is called for. That there are things that, that, that we will intentionally, if, we, if our heart is for Christ and his glory and for advancing the gospel, that we will intentionally let go of things that are ours, things that we believe we deserve, rights that we believe we have. There are things that we will forego, we will overlook, we will let go by, we will let go of. Paul writes, Christ was God, but he didn't... He didn't count He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was God in the flesh, fullness of deity, but he surrendered what he by nature deserved. He, he set it aside, he let it go. He he surrendered what he rightfully deserved. And what was that? Well, he's God. If he, if he shows up on earth, he, he deserves to be recognized and worshipped by all creation. He's the creator. But he set that aside and, and Paul says he took the form of a servant. Instead of being, being globally, ultimately, Globally, universally recognized and worshipped, he became one that nobody recognizes. Nobody looks at. Servant. Nobody takes note of a servant. He, He intentionally emptied himself. He surrendered what was rightfully his in order to accomplish our redemption. Now, make no mistake about it. He is God, and he is going to get what he deserves. That's verses 10 and 11. That's verses 10 and 11, the verses you're familiar with. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But he was willing to temporarily set that aside in order to save sinners, in order to advance the gospel. Rather than be served, he came to serve. Which lends us the, the soul-searching question, doesn't it? How, how much of what is ours, of what is mine, of what is rightfully mine, of what I deserve, of what I want... How much of ours would we be willing to set aside for the sake of the gospel? For the sake of sinners being saved? And we're talking about looking to Christ and pursuing him and chasing him and becoming like him. How far are we willing to go to be a servant, overlooked, not recognized, neglected, mistreated, A servant for the sake of the gospel. That the gospel might flourish. That it might go forward. That it might advance. Could it be a matter of our time? Could it be a matter of our position? Could it be a matter of our preferences? Could it be a matter of our recognition? Could it be a matter of our schedule? Could it be a matter of our priorities? 
Could it be a matter of our finances? Could, could, could it be a matter of anything, any and everything? We should all answer that question individually, individually and specifically, not generally. Let's quit dealing with God in general terms so that we don't have to deal with God. Amen? So we deal with God in general terms so that we don't really have to get into the muck and mire and really get some work done in our lives of sanctification. So we say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we need to be humble. That's right, I need to be, I need to be humble. Y- yeah, I do too. How? Me, how? Specifically, what are you willing to let go, forego, overlook, let go of, surrender, that the gospel might advance in your life, in your heart, in your church, in your community? Specifically, how can I get out of the way of the gospel? Am I in the way of the gospel? Would you be willing to pray a prayer? Would I be willing to pray a prayer saying, God, if I'm in the way of the gospel, if I'm in the way of the gospel advancing in my family, in my church, in my community, then move me out of the way. Get me out of the way. How can I be of service to the gospel? How can I serve it? How can I be a servant? He emptied himself. The second description is he humbled himself. Just let that sink in. The son of glory humbled himself. That's where I, I see the word submission. Surrender and submission. He humbled himself, the scripture says, by becoming obedient. That's... That's what Paul is talking about, by becoming obedient. In other words, the son submitted himself to the father's will and plan to save his people. Son, this is the only way. Redemption is no other way. And the son became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient to the Father's will and plan for the salvation of his people. There is no doubt if we are going to advance the gospel at some point in our lives, we will all have to humble ourselves. If we are going to submit to the Father's will for our lives... For our church, for our community, we we will all at some point in some ways have to humble ourselves. When we reach the crossroads of God's plans and our plans, the presence or absence of humility in our lives determines the outcome, the path that we choose. Think about that. Reflect back over our lives. The times that, that our plans overrode God's plans. And the times that God's plan overrode ours. Humility was abundantly present in our hearts.
Humility involves surrender and submission. And therefore, in some degree, sacrifice. That's where we're going. In a few moments, we're going to gather around this table that means we have a Savior. That's what this table means. We have a Savior. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. We are hopeless and helpless as sinners if there is not a Savior. We don't have a chance. We'll never make it if there's not a Savior. And this table, that's what it means. There is one. There is one. There's a Savior who delivers and heals and forgives and restores. Christ has come and bled and died for sin that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life. But there would be no salvation. There would be no Savior. There would be no good news. There would be no juice and no wafer if Christ had not in humility surrendered and submitted. That was the path to advance the gospel. When we put the wafer to our lips and the juice to our lips this morning, we would do well as God's people to, to, to ponder in our own lives how are our, our lives reflecting a pursuit of the Savior, a, a pursuit of Christ. And the surrender and the submission of Christ to be our Savior Someone said, every step toward Christ is a step of humility. You simply can't chase him without it. You can't grow in him without it. You can't know him without it. And surrender and submission leads to sacrifice. That's the next Two words, the next point of the sermon, sacrifice and salvation in verse 8. How far was Christ obedient to the Father? Paul says to the point of death. Paul says that, that, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's, that's radical obedience. That's radical obedience. Now, you really have to trust God. You really have to trust God and believe that everything he says is absolutely true. Every promise he has made is absolutely true. Everything about his plan will unfold just as he has said it would. You have to really trust and believe God and know that he is what is best for you and he has what is best for you if you are really going to be obedient to the point of death. You have to really believe that God's will is going to turn out for your best if you're going to be obedient that far to die. Because at that point, in terms of this world and this life, it's over. It's done. There's nothing else to do. Now listen to this. 
the Son of God did. He believed the Father was absolutely true and trustworthy. And his promise is good. So if the Son of God believes in the Father to that degree, obedient to the point of death, why would we have any reason to doubt? Why would we have any reason to waver? Why would we have any reason to fear? Why would we have any reason to stall and hesitate? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. But then Paul says, but let me remind you, it wasn't just any death. It wasn't just death. It was even death on a cross. Not just any death. Jesus went beyond just being willing to die to rescue us. The plan all along was that he would die. That was the plan all along. But it wasn't to be a peaceful passing in his sleep. That's what you and I wish for, isn't it? Boy, when it's my time to go, I I pray I lay down and just wake up in heaven. It wasn't to be for Christ a peaceful passing in his sleep. It wasn't to be a, a, a sudden, quick cardiac arrest it wasn't to be a humane execution of lethal injection it was to be the most painful agonizing shameful humiliating violent aggressive gruesome way to die the cross why do you Why do you pass out juice and pass out little crackers? The cross. Christ knew that it was the cross long before he came to Calvary. Remember remember in our study through Matthew, he was telling the disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer at the hands of violent men. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Christ knew the depth and the anguish of the sacrifice. Why why was it necessary that Christ die such a cruel death? Why, Why the cross? Why the cross? Why did the why did our redemption, why did my rescue require the cross? The cross will forever remind us of just how ugly our sin is and the price that had to be paid to free us from it, to rescue me from my own sin, from my deeds, from my words, from my thoughts, from my intentions, from my selfishness, from my pride, from my lust, from my anger. From my apathy. 
The cross was required. Let us not dare to excuse our sin as, as a habit, as a, as a slip-up, as, as a mistake, as a weakness. It is sin. It is rebellion. It is turning against God, transgressing against our Creator. Christ didn't die and, and shed His blood and body broken for a slip-up. If Christ did not pay, the, the, the cross symbolizes for us, this is how you pay for sin. This is how you get rescued from your sin. This is what it requires. And if Christ didn't pay for it, we would. If my sin was not paid in full, I would still have a debt before God that piles up every day. This is my rescue. This is my life. That's what rescue means. That's what save means. This is my salvation. When we struggle with humility, when our, when our pride raises its, its arrogant head, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the table. When we eat the wafer and, and drink the juice, remember, as, as Martin shared earlier, remember the body of Jesus broken, the, the blood of Jesus shed. For what reason? What is the reason? When, when I take the wafer to my lips, when I take the juice to my lips, what was the reason? Me. Why was his body broken? Why was his blood shed? Why did he die? Why must my Savior suffer so? Me. It's my redemption. It's my forgiveness. It's my sin. It's my shame. It's my guilt. He was pierced for my transgression. Wounded for my sin. He gave all that, that I might be forgiven. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. Let it be fresh this morning. I know we're doing this every fifth Sunday. Don't get used to it. Let it be fresh. It's personal. It's personal. Christ died on the cross to ransom you. Have you ever personally looked at the cross? If you haven't taken the cross personal, I'm afraid you haven't taken it. It's your ransom. It's my ransom. Sacrifice and salvation. And then finally, exaltation and glory. Exaltation and glory in verses 9 through 11 Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As far as Christ humbled himself to a servant, to death, to the cross, and finally to the grave, as far as Christ humbled himself, God, pleased with his son, has raised him to the highest of heights. 
When Christ returns, listen to this, when Christ returns, there will not be one angel or one demon or one human in all of history standing. There will only be one standing. And there will only be one silent Everyone else will be proclaiming, he is Lord. Now, you see, that wasn't happening. Listen to this. Catch it. That didn't happen before the cross. He emptied himself. But it will happen now that there's been a cross. That's what the therefore is there for. And all the honor given to Christ will serve to glorify the Father. It all wraps up in the glory of God. So when we remember the Lord's sacrifice for our sin today, we remember that the story of our redemption does not stop at the cross. The story of our redemption does not stop at the cross. Jesus says when he institutes the Lord's Supper, remember what he says, take this and remember me. This is my blood. This is my body. Remember me. Then you remember what he said? And keep on taking it. And one day I'll join you. So our, our redemption is full, but it's not complete. It doesn't stop at the cross. This table represents to us the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, Lord, there is a Savior. We are sinners. That's the best news we could ever possibly hear. There is a Savior. We do have hope. There is salvation in him. So, Father, if we are gathered this morning and we are apart from Christ, I pray, God, that you would compel us and draw us to your Son in salvation today. And as the redeemed, Father, may we take a fresh look, a fresh look at the cross, a fresh look at our sin, a, a fresh look at our salvation, a, a fresh look at the hope that we have in Christ. And as we gather in a few moments around this table, may we worship. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.